Hey, it's Zach. The NBA playoffs are here, and you should all be listening to the Woj Pod with the great Adrian Wojnarowski, as well as the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. You can find both the Woj Pod and the Hoop Collective wherever you get your podcasts. The Ultimate Fighter, the reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract, is back. Stream the season premiere on Tuesday, June 1st, only on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Monday morning where we had the always wild first weekend of the playoffs. Four games Saturday, four games Sunday, a veritable orgy of playoff basketball. And let's start where everyone is looking at because everyone always looks to LeBron James. Suns, Lakers, the Phoenix Suns with an emphatic 99-90 game one win that they controlled from start to finish. And you know what? When we talk about the Lakers, we usually get a Lakers perspective. Someone from L.A. No, the Suns won game one. Let's get someone from Phoenix. The first person I thought of was the one and only Eddie Johnson. How are you, sir? I'm doing well today. I mean, after not being in the playoffs for so long, I can't even remember, Zach. And I wake up this morning, and we're up 1-0 in a series. Oh, man. It can't be any better than this. How is the arena? You know what? I, I watch it on TV, to be quite honest with you. I work, you know, I, I work so much. It's like when I get an opportunity to just go listen to somebody else do a game and I can get the replays and everything. I just feel like, you know, it's so much more up close and personal for me. But what what I heard about it and what my buddies told me said it was just unreal. It felt like 18,000 in there, although they listed as about 10 6. Uh, but it seemed like it was 18,000. So it was packed and ready, and people were partying outside. It's a fun time right now in Phoenix, man. We haven't experienced this in a long time. So we had a kerfuffle, an ejection, Chris Paul hurting his shoulder and and using a jump shot form that was clearly not his normal form. We'll have to monitor that going forward. So it was an eventful game. The Suns sort of told the world, hey, we're here, DeAndre Ayton. I'm here. I'm the big guy. I'm the biggest guy on the floor. Well, Andre Drummond's bigger than me, but I'm going to play like the biggest guy. Devin Booker, I'm ready. You're going to have to double me, straight up hard double me like I'm Luka Doncic. What surprised you about game one? What was something that stood out that maybe you didn't expect? Well, nothing surprised me about the Suns team. This is a team that I've been seeing all year long. I've been trying to convince people and tell them they are the real deal. They are a team personified 1-15. through 15. Every one of those guys are prepared. Monty has done a great job with them. They have confidence. They did not surprise me. Devin Booker did not surprise me. People need to understand how good he is. He is special. It is nothing he cannot do offensively on the court. His passing has even gotten better this year. So now you can't double him. You can't uh, make things difficult for him. And he's one of the best scorers in our league. But what did surprise me was how DeAndre Ayton dominated Anthony Davis. Uh, I was not expecting that. That was a key to this series. I talked about that all week, that DeAndre had to step up. He is the difference in this series. And, look, he's not going to dominate Anthony Davis the entire series. That's why you have a seven-game series. But I love the start for DeAndre Ayton. If he plays like that, and I'm not saying shoot 10 for 11 every game. I'm just saying with a ferociousness, with a physicality, uh, with a conviction to go rebound, this Suns team will be very difficult to beat. Yeah, I'm very interested to see Anthony Davis 
in game two because you know some of these some of these fours like you see it with John Collins and Jaron Jackson Jr. on a much lesser scale they can get a little bit lost in the offense when there's a traditional center on the floor and that happens to Anthony Davis sometimes when Andre Drummond is on the floor with him he just go, there goes through stretches where he's just sort of out there on the perimeter do you want to say hey man you got Jay Crowder on you get get down to the block but it, it's not it's not uh it's not so open down there there's a lot of clutter in the paint but I do think that's a matchup he can he can abuse but uh, but I think one adjustment that the Lakers might make and that could help them on both ends of the floor is I wonder if we'll see even more of Anthony Davis at center in game two because Andre Drummond could not handle you know they ran that same like stagger screen action for Devin Booker it seemed like 30 times in the game and got a good look out of it every time we can talk about why that worked Andre just had trouble getting the angle right, getting the footwork right. With AD at center, I wonder if you could even start switching that stuff. Now, you open yourself up to some eight and post-ups on the back end maybe, but try to try to limit the amount of rotations you get into. Try to limit the amount of times you have to just throw two guys at Booker. Maybe try to switch and stay home a little bit. I wonder if we'll see a little more AD at the five to try and get him. Also, then you on offense, then the lane's clear for him. You run pick and roll with LeBron and AD, get him rolling vertically and see what happens from there. Yeah, you know, Zach, I agree with you. They probably are going to try to change some things. But here's my issue with that mindset is that I thought Anthony Davis was supposed to be an aircraft here. I thought Anthony Davis was supposed to lift up other players. And I think sometimes we're protecting him uh, in his faults. Uh, and I said that when they acquired Drummond. I think everybody knew what they were getting with Drummond. Uh, and I think Anthony Davis has not done a good job making Drummond have a better adjustment. So it goes back again to did LeBron need Anthony Davis more than Anthony Davis needed LeBron. Goes back to did Kyrie need him more, did Kevin Love need him more, did Dwayne Wade need him more. It all falls now on Anthony Davis. He is the guy that everybody said arguably could be MVP this year, and he has not lived up to it. And I think the default move is to maybe pinpoint the things Drummond is not doing. But, Zach, remember a few weeks ago, Anthony Davis dropped one of the best stat lines that we've seen in a Laker uniform when he dropped 42 on the Suns. Drummond was on the floor. I think a few games before that, he dropped a heck of a stat line against Portland. Drummond was on the floor. I just think sometimes, you know, what happens is people protect the superstars to a point and they don't really isolate and put the blame totally on them. They kind of like – Put the blame on them, but then they kind of give you a reason. I think Anthony Davis just needs to get tougher. When LeBron was off the floor last night, the Lakers scored 73 points per 100 possessions, which is like you, me, my daughter, and a couple elderly people from the nursing home might be able to put up 73 points per 100 possessions. They had He just missed ISO after ISO. He should be able to, to abuse uh, – not abuse, but he should be able to get some buckets over Jay Crowder. He's just going to have to get some buckets. Crowder's strong. Crowder's strong. I get it. Crowder's strong. Yeah, he's he's a brute. Here's something that, and you understand this, here's something that people have a hard time grasping. They think just because a guy is shorter than another guy that the taller guy is going to have an advantage. It's not necessarily the case because most of your strength is below your waist. I remember Mug, everybody used to always try to post up Muggsy Bowles. I'm sure you remember this, right? You were a young man then, right? I, I don't know. You could, you know, you must way much younger than me, but I'm, 40, I'm 43. I remember Muggsy Bogues very well. And you remember how everybody wanted to post them up. 
I mean, and how could you not? He's 5'3". It's the most – but not as much – not enough is made of Muggsy Bogues at 5'3", being a good NBA player. That's like – that's crazy that he was able to do that. Because you couldn't back him down. He was that strong. Think about it. He's pushing you in your legs, which is hard to move when somebody's pushing you in your legs in relation to your back. And so – that's what Crowder is for Anthony Davis, who is really not that strong below the waist. And so Anthony Davis is really putting himself in a tough position when he's doing that, trying to just take jumpers all the time. He's got to get great post position early, middle of the lane, and let Crowder push him out, and now he's in a good rhythm. But Anthony Davis does not like to post up. Let's just put it where it is. Anthony Davis grew, what, eight, nine inches when he was a point guard. He has that mentality of playing on the perimeter, even though he's six foot eleven. That's always been his problem. And one of the stories of the season has been that his jump shot just hasn't been good enough. And people focus on the threes. I think he shot twenty six percent from three. His long two hasn't been up to snuff for his usual form. And and you know that's going to have to change if the Lakers want to get where they want to go. Let alone um, get back in this series. Let's talk about Booker. Um, because Booker was the best player on the floor in a game that had LeBron James and Anthony Davis in it. Uh, just picked picked the Lakers apart. They ran that same action over and over. Were you, First of all, were you surprised that they were throwing double teams at him? Did you expect so many? And it wasn't just like on the pick and roll. Sometimes they just he just had the ball. And it wasn't even a mismatch. Like One was KCP was on him like 30 feet from the rim in the first half. They ran a second guy at him. One was Anthony Davis was on him on a switch. They ran a second guy at him. I thought that was overdoing a little bit. The Suns got good looks out of that, but they really, they clearly decided we're throwing bodies at this guy. We're going to make other people beat us. But guess what? Devin Booker beat him anyway. Yeah, this is not the Devin Booker of his first few years where he would try to break the trap, take bad shots, and think he had to score a ton of points in order for his team to win. This Devin Booker right now is actually seeing the game. And if you're going to run a guy at him where he's actually facing his teammates, he's going to pick you apart. He's become a very good passer this year. Why? Well, the last two years, who has he played with? He's played with two of the best passers in our game, Enrique Rubio and Chris Paul. They've taught him how to pass. He's watched them. He's a very big student of the game. And so if they're going to trap him when he can see the floor, he's going to make the right decisions. He's done it all year long. He's been very unselfish in that regard. And so I would expect, Zach, the Lakers, what they are going to do, they're going to blitz them hard off of that two-man game. They're not going to try to go out there and just try to soft double-team them. They're going to blitz them. Anytime he runs off the two, especially if Chris Paul is not healthy, that's what they're going to do. And Devin's going to have to really make some great quality decisions uh, in the midst of a very aggressive double-team from, you know, in my estimation, the best defensive team in the league. So it's not going to be easy. Campaign has to be better off the bench as well. Uh, each one more. If Chris Paul cannot go, uh, it's going to be laborious for them. But Devin is just Devin has been a student of the game over the last few years to a high level, and it's paying off. Well, they ran that same action. Let's break that action down. Devin would come up from the left corner first. Chris Paul often Chris Paul would screen for him, so he'd get a little bit of a head start. Then he'd come up. He'd come up at the top of the arc, and there would be DeAndre Ayton waiting for a handoff. So it becomes a pick and roll, basically. Two guys to Devin Booker's right, two shooters, one in the corner, one on the wing. Only one shooter, sometimes Chris Paul, on the left, which is now the weak side. And you could see the Lakers struggle with, wait a second, normally I'm supposed to help from the weak side, 
but there's only one guy there. If I help off him, he's wide open. And okay, so so that means you over on the strong side. And you could literally see the Lakers pointing to people uh-huh. on the strong side. You got to get there. You got to get there. You got to get there. And they just couldn't figure it out. Like Aiton got a dunk when LeBron was pointing for someone else to, yeah. to help. And no matter where the help came from, Devin found the right. Like Bridges, when Anthony Davis sloughed off Bridges on the strong side, he kicked to Bridges for a three. That action was really, really powerful. And the Lakers did not have it. I mean, they'll be better prepared for it. Their help will be better. But one thing about Phoenix, on both ends of the floor, they don't have liabilities out there. It's not like you can be like, we're going to ignore that shooter. We're going to, we're going to, and defensively, we'll talk about them. But they, they, they have just good players all over the place. But that action, I'm very interested to see, other than using AD at center and switching more, which I do think we'll see. I'm interested to see how prepared the Lakers are for it. Yeah, I honestly think they'll tell Booker, go ahead and go for 40. I think they might come out and do that. Uh, they just might come out and say, you know what, Devin, go for your 40. We're going to stay at home on everybody else. Uh, and, and so you can see that philosophy going play. Jason Kidd's over on that bench, and that's a mindset that he's, that he's had. You know, go ahead. Let the old school mentality, right? Uh, let them go ahead and get his 40, but we're going to stay at home with everyone else. I'll tell you this. Uh, to that point, I'm not doubling him with Anthony Davis. If I've got Anthony Davis on him, I'm on a switch. I'm not doubling him. KCP, right. 30 feet from the rim, I'm not doubling him. I was a little surprised the Lakers. Now, I know he's so good, he might just take me and, and look what he did to Alex Caruso. Poor guy. He, he turned Alex Caruso to dust one-on-one. So I, who knows if I, I might be wrong about that. Yeah, no, look, I, here's the key thing, right? And we both love this. Is like the adjustments from every game. I always tell people each playoff game is its own entity. You can't bring forward what happened in the last game because both teams are going to watch film. Both teams are going to prepare. and They're going to guess what you might do. Uh, the best I've ever seen is Jerry Sloan. I, I played against Utah probably more than any team in my basketball career in the playoffs, and it just drove me nuts how many changes he would make over the course of a series from game to game. But that's what we're going to see, and they're going to try to outguess one another. Monty's going to try to figure out, okay, if Chris Paul's hurt, or they're just going to let Chris Paul run free now, and, they, and they're going to be more aggressive on Devin. Uh, or they're going to let him shoot the ball and just stay home on everyone else. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers approach it. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked at times to see LeBron guard. Uh, I think he likes to take that responsibility at times if those other guys can't get it going. Uh, no one can stop Devin Booker. In fact, I think people are starting to understand it. It's not a blip. <laughs> this dude no. gets shot off on anybody, and he loves contact. See, he's like he's old school Ricky Pierce, right? And he's got a little Kobe, got a little MJ. He's got a little all of them. In that he gets his shot off in any type of situation, and he's always on balance. And and so it's going to be a nightmare for the Lakers to even try to attempt to stop him. I think their focus is on everyone else and. Like I said, DeAndre Ayton doesn't do what DeAndre Ayton did in the first game. I think, you know, we're in trouble every game that we play. He has to be big. And the Lakers, you know, the Suns know that the Lakers will be scouting that one play that they ran over, and so they yeah. may not run it as much. No. They also had they also had some success getting um, Schroeder switched on to Devin Booker, and Devin Booker's got a good post game. You know that. You watch my review. He's just stronger than people think in the post. That's something we might see. A little love. And you mentioned Chris Paul and his injury. That's obviously, you know, a potential game changer. We'll see how he looks. Um, LeBron still does not look like LeBron to me coming off that high ankle sprain. And that's not an excuse. Just like the Suns aren't going to use Chris Paul's shoulder as an excuse. It's just a reality. He just didn't. 
you know what it feels like when LeBron James puts his stamp on a game. He did not put his stamp on that game for maybe more than three possessions. And when he tried to, when he went at D.A. in the pick and roll, he couldn't get any lift and D.A. swatted him at the rim. But that's not LeBron. When they when they posted him up against Bridges, which in normal times I think is a matchup he would relish and try to bully ball him, he was like Draymond Green. There was one possession in the fourth quarter or maybe in the third quarter where he posted up Mikhail Bridges like 20 feet from the rim on the right side. Did not take one dribble. Not mm-hmm. one. Didn't even try to back him down. And then forced a pass to Kuzma, who, by the way, had zero points. Nobody's talking about that. Forced a pass to Kuzma that wasn't there. And you're like, he's like Draymond Green. Like, normally he's bullying people. Didn't get downhill on the pick and roll. I think, look, the Lakers, we know that they'll play better down 0-1. They'll play with more urgency. I'm just really curious. Like, what does LeBron have in him to just say, hey, this is our game. This is my game. We're taking it. What, What did you notice from him? Yeah, you know, and we both have watched him ad nauseum, man. And and I would say this. I think he's trying to navigate his way to better health. And I think he's trying to shortcut things. He's trying to not push things. He's not trying to take off in traffic because he's going to come down on somebody's ankle. And he's done for the playoffs. So I think that's in his head right now. I think he wants to just try to manage it, navigate it, keep it close, win games, not trying to blow out teams and not try to, you know, trying to control tempo. We saw it a few years ago. You remember when they had all the injuries against Golden State, right? When Kyrie and Kevin Love went down. And he reverted to what? Just walking the ball up the court. Just slowing down the tempo. And I think with his injury, that's what he's trying to do. It's not going to work against the Suns. And I think he's going to come to that realization that this is a young team that is running fast. They're not going to give in to this playing slow thing because they have Chris Paul and Chris Paul knows what LeBron's all about and he's going to go opposite. He's not going to allow that to happen. And I think more so that Zach, I think he's, I don't know how healthy he is, but I think more so he's just trying not to put himself in harm's way to where he knows he's done for the playoffs or done for a series. If he tries to ramp it up and just go all out right away. And he's hoping Anthony Davis can pick it up for him. But I guarantee you, if Anthony Davis doesn't pick it up early in game two, I think all of a sudden LeBron is going to push himself and say, hey, what do I have to lose? Yeah, because you know what LeBron, you know, LeBron, I mean, Chris, I was going to say, you know, LeBron will call up Chris Paul's guy for a pick and say, ah, well, I'm going to you're going to dare you to switch Chris Paul to me. Chris Paul is no picnic in the post. We've seen him guard Kevin Durant in the past. He's a brute. I would like to see them. I think they should make Booker work a little bit more on defense. So, you know, like peak LeBron, where's Devin Booker's guy? Let me call him up for a screen. Put Devin Booker. We we just didn't see any of that. You know, even there was a couple plays where he screened for Schroeder. So it was like a 1-3 pick and roll. Then that worked really well. I think we could see more of that. But I'll tell you, you know, LeBron, when they put Davis at center, and we saw a little bit of this and with Drummond in game one, and they put force shooting around those three and run spread, pick, and roll. That's really tough, but I'll tell you, the Suns' rotations and communications on defense are so solid and so sound. So, like, you see them. The low man helps. Then they X, they call it X out, right? Like, they, they toggle assignments on the weak side. So, one guy will rotate to the corner. Another guy will rotate back up to the wing. They just they don't make mistakes on that stuff. And as hard as that action is to guard, even when the Lakers go to it, the Suns are going to make them earn every good look. And they've been healthy all year. And so that's why they know. They know each other's pretty much movements. They know the reactions. 
Uh, and Monty has not been a coach that has just shied away from practicing. Uh, they're, they're in tune with one another. And I think what the Lakers are seeing is a mirror image of what they were last year defensively at a high level. They, obviously, they're at the top of the charts, I think, again, this year defensively, but they're not the same defensive team this year the Lakers are as they were last year. And I think they see in the Suns what they were in, in that regard. And when, when Aiden is really protecting the rim and those guys are scrambling, man, they, you don't have much. You really don't. And, and, again, that's been the beauty of this team all year. That's why they've been ultra consistent. That's why they had the best record on the road. That's why they went through a long stretch where they didn't lose, you know, more, no more than two games in a row. It's because of their defense. It, it wasn't their offense per se. It was the way they defended every night. And they made things difficult for the Lakers. I mean, I mean, guys out there were hesitating. They were, they were recovering on them. They had a hand in their face. Uh, nothing came easy for the Lakers in game one. And they did a great job when they trapped Booker. Like on offense, they did like Mikhail Bridges flashes for a little jumper. Jay Crowder flashed for a little jumper. Aiton's waiting under the rim for the touch pass. Like yeah. they just were ready. They were well prepared. The Lakers will adjust. We may, Maybe we see Marc Gasol for some spacing at the five in game two. I, I, I don't know. We'll see some other adjustments. But look, I think. Maybe they, look, because I, I hope they don't, you know, because <laughs> I believe Harrell is a major problem for them. I know defensively, he's, he, you know, he's not going to be there, but on the offensive glass, I mean, the Suns destroyed him on the, on the rebound. And I mean, Aiton by himself destroyed him. And I think Harrell presents a problem uh, for us. He's done that all year because uh, he's just so aggressive in the paint. Uh, I could see him, though. I know I hear you with the Gasol. But I could, and maybe Drummond suffers in game two because of it. But Harrell is a guy that I really worry about. I do because I just think he can get you in foul trouble in there. He's so ferocious in there. Uh, and I think the Suns are going to be prepared for him as well. That's interesting because he's sort of feast or famine sometimes for the Lakers. You know, I thought he had a pretty good game one. And then sometimes you do like, well, defensively, Kenny Hang. Look, I picked the Lakers in six because it was just, it's hard to pick against LeBron James until you see his team lose their defending champs. But I think the Suns had a real chance to win this series in game one. They were just better. They're the better team from, from start to finish. And we'll see what Chris looks like. We'll see what LeBron looks like. But the Suns are, I, I don't know where the mentality comes from. If it's Chris, if it's Monty, if it's, if it's James Jones. But those young guys, maybe it's that Devin Booker's been building to this for a long time, including, including in the bubble. But Devin Booker... Cam Johnson, on and on, Bridges, like those, they were like, no, we, we know how to play. We've been playing hard-nosed basketball all season. Nothing about this is scary to us. We're just going to come in and play. It was really impressive. It was very impressive, uh, Zach. And, and you and I are on the same accord. I picked the Lakers in six. I said the only way the Lakers win this series, they win it in six. Uh, I know LeBron is unbelievable in game sevens, but the Suns are unbelievable at home. And if a long series happened with the way the Lakers are beat up, that game seven is going to seem like a, a conference finals to the Lakers because I just think based on what we saw against Golden State, uh, they're, they're out of shape too because they haven't been able to play a lot and practice a lot. Uh, but I, I happen truly to believe that this series, the winner of this series coming out of the West. I, that's, that's what I said before it, uh, and I'm going to stick with it. I think this, this is the best series. Uh, I don't think Utah – 
I, I felt Utah could lose to Memphis, and I still do if Donovan Mitchell's not healthy. I think people go to sleep on Memphis. Uh, and as we know, we can't trust the Clippers. Uh, and so <laughs> we just can't. And, and, and you know, and then Denver, you know, losing Jamal Murray. So I truly believe before the playoffs started that this series right here, the winner of this series is going to get out of the West. And uh, I'm hoping it's my Phoenix Suns. I love it. Eddie Johnson, one of the absolute best ever to play and ever to do the media part as an ex-player. Always fun to listen to you on Sirius. So everyone can catch you everywhere. Eddie, uh, enjoy game two. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100, 100 times, times your money. money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, well, fresh off Eddie Johnson saying that you can't trust the Clippers. Let's bring in our man on the case of the Mavs Clippers series, maybe my favorite first round series so far, the always informative and entertaining Tim Band McMahon, although you will never be banned from here, my friend. How are you? Ah, boy, I wish we could play that that theme song, man. God, I miss it. Well, what can one do? How, uh, so let's start off the top before we get to Mavs Clippers and Luka Doncic uh, uh, trying to single-handedly destroy the LA Clippers franchise. Uh, you and Brian Winhurst reported something on Donovan Mitchell today being unhappy with the Jazz decision to sit him in game one, which Memphis won last night in thrilling fashion. John Morant, hello. Hello, playoff John Morant in the fourth quarter. That was fun. Hello, playoff um, Dylan Brooks. Oh, Dylan Brooks. I I get tired just thinking about the idea of being within five feet of Dylan Brooks. Like his hair, his elbows, he's like a linebacker. It just seems Look, like it would be so unpleasant to just be – I don't even want to be his neighbor. Like it just seems like it – and I mean that in the best possible dude, way. Mike Conley was his locker room neighbor for the first two years. Now he's headbutting him in the middle of a playoff series opener and just being a complete pain in the ass. Yeah, that was rude. That was straight-up rude <laughs> behavior by Dylan Brooks. That is Dylan Brooks. Absolutely rude and proud of it. So what's up with Donovan Mitchell? There seems to be some sort of disagreement about his rehab. He's got his own personal trainers, and the Jazz personal trainers have final say. What's going on? Well, look, he was completely blindsided by being ruled out of game one, and, and understandably so. You know, obviously the, the rehab from the, that sprained right ankle took a while, but he was cleared to practice Thursday, practiced three straight days, you know, was was full go, scrimmaging, all that kind of stuff. 
went through shoot around, talked to the media, declared himself not just ready to go, but excited, said, you know, no pain, always going to be some soreness, but man, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm excited. After that is pulled into a meeting and told, uh, hey, you're not going. Hadn't been on the injury report. It'll be interesting to see if the league office uh, has anything to say about that. Um, but he was totally blindsided. And not just him. His team, you know, his teammates, the the afternoon of a playoff series opener, waking up from their afternoon nap saying, hold on, Donovan's not playing? What? Um, so Donovan is, you know, pissed. Um, I do think this is a salvageable situation, totally salvageable, totally salvageable, but there's definitely some tensions that need to be sued. Uh, I think Dwayne Wade is, is well suited to help manage the situation, but Donovan clearly is highly determined to be out there for game two. Uh, and if he's not, then I, I, I. Both from a both from a tension standpoint and from a, you know what, this ain't an easy little walk through the park on an eight seed type of series. Uh, I, I think the Jazz are significantly better than Memphis, and with Donovan Mitchell, it is an easy series. I mean, the games themselves are not going to be super easy because mm-hmm. the Grizzlies are tough as hell, physical as hell. Jonas Valanciunas and Dylan Brooks. Jonas Valanciunas and Dylan Brooks would be a good WWE tag team. Like, good size differential, good, like, just good. They, they look good as a tag team. They've got the like, right mindset Brooks for is it. Gonna, is, Brooks is going to wear shades out for the intros. They Jonas, Jonas can be like, you can, make, you can make Jonas like a lumberjack character. Good personalities, like, different finishing moves. They'd have a good, like, tandem finishing move. But the Jazz are qualitatively better. But, yeah, you can lose game two at home. It's DEFCON 1. Like, it's it's where the number one seed are. We have Paper Tiger. It's all the noise. They need mm-hmm. to win game two. So we'll see. Um, let's talk about – I wanted to focus on on Tuesday's game since that's a sort of a sweet spot of, of time. And one of those games is Mavs Clippers. And there we're now seven games into Luka Doncic against the Clippers in the playoffs. And they just have no answer. And, well, and we, and, uh, maybe. There's one answer that it is really kind of – bizarre shocking that they haven't gone to it yet and and Ty Lu says you're gonna get what you're asking for come Tuesday when I asked him about it and that is hey can your two-time defensive player of the year take on the challenge of guarding this guy who's absolutely carving you up and so we will according to uh, Ty Lu we will see a significant dose of the claw guarding Luca uh, in game two and the concern there is, boy, you know, the, the king of load management sure is carrying a heavy load offensively. Will he have enough gas in the tank? But w- if the other option is <laughs> whatever you did in game one, that ain't working. Yeah, well, I, I said before the series, one of the, one of the big advancements that Luca has made this year is he's become an even more calculated and predatory post-up player in particular. Oh. And so when I saw them open with Patrick Beverly no, on him, I literally said to my laptop, uh-oh, Patrick Beverly's in trouble. And, and Luca Be- literally Luca literally said to Pat, Pat Beverly, you're too effing small. And he was telling zero lies. Much like uh, Charles Barkley said, Angola in trouble back in the day. I said, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick Beverly, you're in trouble. And the, he just swatted Patrick Beverly away like a little annoying gnat. And yeah. by the way, Patrick Beverly... You know, we all, everyone loves Patrick Beverly as a character, this and that. 
he, he just needs to be better for the Clippers. And I'm not convinced right now that he is. Is he the third best point guard on the Clippers right now? Well, and, uh, and you know, will Rondo start? Should Rondo start? Um, the Ty Lue's got a lot of decisions to make and a lot of adjustments to consider. I think there, that's there was a, there was a stretch. There was a stretch in the game. I think it was in the third quarter when the Mavs put Luca on Patrick Beverly with I think the express goal of we want you to involve Patrick Beverly in your offense as a screener and a ball handler. We know you're trying to hunt down Luca and make him mm-hmm. work on defense, which by the way is smart and right. worked really well in the first quarter when everybody torched him. Do it with Patrick Beverly because we want you to sidetrack your offense to involve Patrick Beverly because we are not scared. But that's a different story. So, Luca, Okay. Kawhi on Luca, Very exciting. I'm very excited. Already was excited for the game. Now you're telling me this, which I read in your piece today uh, on ESPN.com. I'm, I'm, I'm more excited. It doesn't solve the problem of what happens when a player comes and sets a pick for Luca, And in particular... What happens when that player is guarded by Ivica Zubats? So what yeah. is the answer to that question? That's a First of all, that's a great question. And I think the hope in game one for the Clippers was Kawhi would be the guy switching on to him. You know, Kawhi is guarding Porzingis, and they're thinking Porzingis is going to be in that pick-and-roll action. And, and Rick Carlisle's response to that was, okay, you want to put Kawhi on Porzingis? Hey, Chris Steps, I know you're not going to love this, but go spot up 30 feet from the hoop. Well, this is exactly what happened last year. They took yeah. Porzingis out of the game, but Porzingis is guarding Zubats. And so when when uh, the Mavs get a stop, Zubats is going to be trapped in that matchup. And then they'll use Porzingis as the screener because they want to involve uh, Zubats as much as possible. Right, but, but yes. if it's Kawhi and, way, and Porzingis, Chris, it's four on four. Chris Steps, Porzingis should not attempt to dribble Oh. In within a twenty foot radius of Kawhi Leonard, when he it, and it's by the like, way, I, only Luka Doncic should. Brunson, okay. Tim Hardaway tried it, and and Maxi Kleba, you know, got dunked into the fourth row because of that. So yeah, Chris Stapps, and that's the the, the Chris Stapps has to. It's a thing where Rick Carlisle made a point to praise him for his patience, and I think that was Rick's way of saying, hey. Look, buddy, we might just need you to spot up 30 feet from the hoop and not be real involved, but please play hard on defense and, and not don't try to do too much offensively. Um, but so the the Zubas thing is, I mean, they got he's guarding Finney Smith, and one, Finney Smith's gonna get good looks off of that, and, and he's a become a knockdown three-point shooter. He is one of the huge developmental success stories kind of under the radar uh in the league, but two. Fine. Okay. You want to put Zubas on him? He'll set the screen. And and Luca getting switched on to Zubas, forget it. Especially, look, Luca, he's just like, you know what? I can just kind of ease my way into my step back three anytime I want against this guy. And if he's knocking it down like he did in game one, Zubas can't play in the in the game. And that's what they that's the conclusion they came to uh in the second half. I mean, he he cooked them. And so you know, does Ty Lue start Zubas still? Does he start Abaka? Does he go small? Yeah, Ab- Abaka did not look good, by the way. Abaka looked yeah. a little bit cre- a little bit creaky. Well, that happens when a guy who's that age misses. Oh, no, games no, no, no surprise. But yeah. I, I thought I, I was hopeful for their their sake that Abaka would be more ready mm-hmm. for big. Remember, he was the starting center until until he got yeah. injured, right? So, but he did not look 
uh, as good as I had hoped. You know, do they go uh, Marcus Morris at the five to start, or at least for major stretches? So, I mean, obviously the, the Clippers have some adjustments to make, um, but you know, what they did in, in game one, they had a little success uh, blitzing Luka in the, in the second half, but, you know, also you saw late in the game, the Mavericks just picking that apart. Porzingis gets a couple dunks off of that. Um, you know, they've got shooters all around him, Kleba, Finney Smith, Hardaway, who's just sizzling right now. Um, so, you know, it, the Clippers have some problems to solve. So you mentioned Morris at center. We saw it quite a bit in game one. I think we'll see it a lot in game two. And so adjustment number one for me, if I'm Ty Lu, and by the way, Ty Lu knows more about basketball mm-hmm. than all of us put together times two. But if I'm playing Marcus Morris at center, the point of doing that is I'm not going to trap Luka as aggressively as I did late in the game because I just have a bunch of like-sized players guarding him. Like, if I have Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, like, Batum, fine, he's a little slow. Reggie Jackson, you can hunt him, but whatever. Like, the point of playing that way is I don't have a Zubats that necessitates this emergency help. So one of those Porzingis dunks came with Marcus Morris at center, and I thought, well, if I'm going to play that lineup, I'm just not going to send two guys at him 35 feet from him because... As sexy as it is to say, well, you can't leave Zubats on an island. You can't. You have to trap Luca. If you trap Luca every time and he knows it's coming, yeah. it just becomes easy pickings for like these are NBA plays. The same thing with Devin Booker. You trap Devin Booker, it's like okay, Mikhail Bridges flashes to the foul line and he's in a two on one with DeAndre and it's going to be a dunk or an easy jump shot. Like these are NBA teams. If you trap their star player forty times eventually they're going to get easy basket after easy basket after well, easy basket. Well, and especially when it's Luca, who just is a brilliant basketball mind. And, you know, I remember a game uh, later in the regular season where the Lakers, they had a lot of success trapping them in the first half. And then Luca just completely picked it apart in the second half and basically uh, ran them off the floor. And, you know, after that game, Rick Carlisle said, you know, I, I like when teams – throw two at him because I, I know he's going to find a way to just pick it apart. And so if you give him a steady diet, at, you, you have to mix it up with him. You can't just give him a steady diet at that because it, he's just going to, it'll be easy pickings for him. Now the numbers say that Lucas, they did pretty well when they trapped Luca uh, in game one. And I actually think the, those numbers are right. Um, even though I'm saying you can't trap him over and over again, selectively so i thought their two best possessions on defense if people want to go back and watch them one was with like two minutes left in the second quarter they got the zubat switch and paul george doubled luca like from behind paul george came from the top of the left wing and doubled him from behind and luca didn't see it coming Mm. and pat and passed out of it and the clippers rotated, flew around everywhere, and got a stop out of it. I think Zubats actually stoned Josh Richardson at the end of the possession. It was a turnover or something. A couple of things on that. Number one, it's so hard to play that way. To have those kind of rotations and swarming flying around, you're going to be exhausted very fast. It's, it's, it's harder to do than people think it is. Um, number two, the very next possession, they went to double Luka again, except they didn't have the geometry luck of someone coming from behind him. He mm-hmm. could see the whole floor, and as soon as he saw the double coming, what did he do? He just shot a three over Zubats and Mason. I'm not even going to wait for this double. Right. I'm just shooting. The other one was in the fourth quarter, they brought Powell. Powell had a little cameo. 
Mm-hmm. They brought him up to screen for Luca because he had uh, whoever was the big man on the floor on him. And what did the Clippers do? They had Rondo say to to uh, Powell's guy, "You stay back. I'm going to take Powell so I can you know be a switch guy, whatever." And he went up to Luca, almost trapped him, then retreated back. It was not really a trap, and you could tell Luca was like, "Oh, that that was a little weird." And he passed it off to Melly. And then Batum denied Luca the ball and he couldn't get it back. My point in bringing those two possessions up were is they actually caught Luca off guard. They didn't just trap in a way he could see coming. They caught him off guard. And the point is, that's how hard it is to do this consistently. You can't do the same thing more than one or two possessions in a row. You have to confuse him. Then you have to deny him the ball, hoping that he just sort of chills out and the rest of the Mavs don't have time or the skill or whatever to finish the possession. But man, it's really, really hard. Like you've, it's got to be subterfuge. You've got to mix it up. You can't do the same thing over and over again, and it's exhausting. Like they can do it, they have the ability to do it. I thought their act, their defense on like other stuff was not very good. Like they gave Dallas other guys too many easy looks on mistakes. Mm-hmm. They can clean that up. My point is like it's really, really hard to defend Luka Doncic. He's just that good. I, I like the Clippers' chances a lot better when Melly's on the floor. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get the Melly minutes. Those ones came by. So the Melly minutes and just the heavy dose of Jabari Parker for the Celtics. I was like, what's going on here? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I guess you got to get something out of that JJ Redick trade. Um, yeah, but you know, and and you mentioned Rondo, and I, when we're talking about just like extraordinarily high basketball IQ, obviously Rondo is in that conversation. And so anytime you can get a a Rondo. Rick Carlisle, uh, you know, brain power chess match type of thing going on. That there's definitely potential for some fun there. Um, but man, I, I really just think though, a lot of this comes down to Kawhi Leonard. Remind us that you are one of the dominant defensive stoppers of our time, um, and like load management, whether it's based on defensive assignments or you know, minutes or you're not taking games off in the playoffs, but like, I don't know that you have that luxury of, of load management in a playoff series, not in this one. And, you know, he was fine on offense. I mean, he had 26 and 10. He was nine of 22, but he got to the line a lot. Paul George was also fine. He had 23 on eight of 18. Good second half after a bad first half. Just feels like I don't know what it says about the Clippers, but it just feels like 49 points combined out of those two guys is not enough. And 49 points on 45% shooting, it just feels like it's it's not enough. And Well, like the other to- thing is it was a really bad three-point shooting night for the Clippers. And, they missed a lot of 11 and, of 40 and missed a lot of good looks. Right, and so they are the best three-point shooting team in the league. You know, a lot like the Jazz are the second best three-point shooting team in the league. When historically elite three-point shooting teams, you know, have, have brick fests, well, they're probably going to lose a playoff game. That's what happened to both of those teams. And so, you know, some of that you, you can just say make or miss league. Uh, but, you know, at, at the same time, uh, the Mavericks feel like Maxi Kleba, despite getting dunked into the fourth row. Um, and by the way, I, I like Maxie's attitude about that. I'm, I'm going to go up. I'm going to challenge. I don't give a crap if I end up on a highlight. Big deal. I'm going to contest everything in the playoffs. Um, they feel like he at least competes against Kawhi and, and doesn't give Kawhi easy stuff. And then Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, it, it, he competes against Paul George. So they at least feel like they've got guys, not that they're going to shut those dudes down, 
but can make them earn what they get. And then, you know, the, the I mean, really, a lot of this game came down to the Mavericks role players knocked down threes. The Clippers didn't. Yeah, I, I flirted with a Mavs in seven prediction and pivoted to Clippers in six because I kept on hearing these murmurs of Kleba's not healthy, Kleba's not going to be ready. Remember, he's missed all these mm. games with Achilles soreness. Yeah. And that worried me because he really is their go-to option on Kawhi, and he does an okay job. I mean, that's all that's all you can ask for. Um, I am interested, like you are, if, if Rondo plays a little more just because – you know, he just kind of juices them up with a little bit more playmaking. Like, they they had a nice play. I think Paul George had a three out of it where Kawhi came up and set a little flat screen for Rondo. And anytime a point guard and Kawhi are involved in a pick and roll, either way, it's good for the Clippers because there's a mismatch there waiting if there's a switch. And Rondo penetrated off of it because they didn't want to switch and hit Paul George for a three. He just enlivens them a bit. And, well, and Rondo, Rondo is a solid, you know, feet set. Uh, spot up three point shooter. He's he's not ever going to be Steph Curry or you know he's, or you know or even a Luca where he's creating his own stuff. But he's no longer the spacing killer that he was during his uh, few months of misery with Rick Carlisle. Well, that's what off nights in this series. I would watch his alternate programming like if there were a blowout in one of the other games. Rick Carlisle and Rondo, one night they play Connect Four, okay, and we see how Rick fares in that. And the next night they, they play ping pong. Like like I would watch yeah, I would for 100%. 100% watch Rondo versus Rick Carlisle and Connect Four probably for like an hour. I would watch that. I mean, people watch other people play video games Dude. on their laptop. I I would watch Connect Four between them two. So in the days leading up to the series, a bunch of my old Rondo Rick tweets were getting, you know, retweeted and, and we're getting some some years later action. Um, and one of those was when uh, early when Rondo just got to Dallas and they played Rondo beat Rick and connect four. And this is I remember. Wait, this, was, this has actually happened. This actually happened. Rondo beat Rick and connect four. And Rick mentioned it in a, in a pregame media session. And he said, this isn't a direct quote. I have to look the tweet up again. But he basically he said something like, I told him that I told him to learn how to yeah, oh no, he said he was he was really excited. I told him to learn how to make a damn shot. <laughs> oh, that was the beginning of the end, I guess. No, no, listen, and th- and then the other one was uh this was a little bit later. Um, and I didn't find out about this until Rondo was was long gone. But uh Rick came to the arena one day. And somebody was parked in his parking spot, you know, at the AAC, his his prime parking spot. You know, I've just got the like the reserve for Rick Carlisle and all that kind of good stuff. And Rick came in just raising hell, pissed off, wanted the tow truck called and all that. Well, it was Rondo who parked in his spot. And uh, <laughs> you, you can you can read between the lines on that one. So Rondo is what was Ron Livingston's character from Office Space that parked in Lumberg's spot? Didn't, didn't he park in Lumberg's spot? <laughs> I, I, I don't have a whole lot of Office Space expertise, but if it, that definitely sounds like a, a similar situation. Um, I think, look, there is no team with more pressure on them in the playoffs, I don't think, than the Clippers. And yeah. there is definitely no team with more pressure on them in Game 2 tomorrow night than the Clippers. If they fall down 2-0 at home... Look, you can just sit and here and assume. And their fifth straight postseason loss because they've still got the 3-1 collapse lingering like a black cloud. That's why the regular season meant jack squat for them. And, and you know, you can sit here and assume, well, Kawhi's coming back. He wants to be in L.A. Fine. Maybe maybe he does. Maybe it's all a fait accompli. 
you still traded 9,000 draft picks, yeah. Danilo Gallinari and Shea Gilders-Alexander, to do this, to, to win op- now. To open a, yes, to open a championship window up immediately. And, you know, ain't nobody trying to hear Paul George again after a, a playoff loss. You know, oh, this wasn't a championship or bust season. <laughs> Look, Steve Ballmer's paying for a championship. He's not paying for, ah, oh, we tried hard. Uh, you know, and I tell you what, the the basketball karma gods might be conspiring against the Clippers. That that tankola down the stretch. I mean, to lose to the Rockets and the Thunder took just extraordinary effort. I mean, to lose to Point Poku and the Oklahoma City tanker in the last game of the regular season because you're scared to see the the, the Lakers in the first or second round. Come on now. I had more than more than a few people around the league suggesting that I switch my coach of the year vote to Ty Lue just because of the performance in the last two games uh, in in losses. I did I did not do. I think Ty Lue's a great coach. Um, look, history suggests that the basketball gods already hate the Clippers, and there's nothing <laughs> the Clippers can do anyway. So they may as well just lean all the way in the other direction and just say, "Screw you, double middle finger to the basketball gods. We can't deal with it anymore." Fair point. I, look, fair point. I think. I think the Clippers are going to win game two because I think they'll shoot better. And I just think there were six or seven plays defensively where they were just screwed up in ways that are uncharacteristic of them. And Finney Smith gets an open three and Tim Hardaway gets an open three. And so I think they will play better. But look, it's it's a and if you're Dallas, you're sitting there like I said to Arnovitz on my podcast two weeks ago. So I said, if, a, if a, the ghost of Adam Silver came to me today, this is two weeks ago or something. and said, hey, just FYI, for your betting purposes, I'm being nice to you. Dallas is going to make the finals. I would have said to the ghost, I mean, it's a little unexpected, but it's not completely insane. Now you're looking at it as like, look at the West. The West is, after one weekend, the West appears to be wide open. So if you're Dallas, you're sitting there saying, let's go win game two. And like, why not us? Why We, we may have the best player other than LeBron in the conference. Yeah, uh, there, there's definitely a case to be made for that. And if you're the, if you're a Clippers fan, you're you're – hoping that Kawhi proves that he's the best player in this series, but certainly was not in game one. By the way, Adam Silver is pale, but he is not a ghost yet and hopefully won't be in, in anytime soon. I mean, the skin is 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 white, like just <laughs> like bright white, but I not do a ghost. Like that he's, I do like that he's taking the play-in victory lap and, according to Woj, agitating for the midseason tournament that nobody wants, nobody asks for, nobody understands the point of it. But if you're going to do it, do it now. Well, just give fans a reason to give one iota of a crap. Like, throw in some an extra mid-level exception, an automatic playoff burst. you got to give fans a reason to care other than, oh, these ridiculously rich dudes get a nice bonus if they win. Amen. All right, Tim McMahon, you can read his coverage of, of Mads Clippers and many other things, including the jazz on ESPN. It's always, and you can listen to him on the Hoop Collective uh, yelling at Windhorse. Actually, usually playing referee while Bontemps yells at Windhorse. But bon, Bontemps bon is such an just a absolute bleepity bleep that somehow I've become the nice guy on that podcast. Really? That's, that's actually saying something. All right, Tim McMahon, hopefully I'll see you soon, buddy. Appreciate you having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, 
birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts, 122 million for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's round out today's episode with Knicks Hawks. Maybe the most anticipated series of the first round. And our guy on Knicks Hawks is normally our Pelicans guy. does a great job covering the Pelicans. Andrew Lopez, you have drawn the Knicks Hawks straw. How are you? I am uh, I am very happy I drew the Knicks Hawk straw, especially after watching Trey Young do what he did yesterday. So uh, I think uh, I think I won that one. Trey Young channeling his uh, Reggie Miller, channeling his inner Reggie Miller with the villainous hushing of a raucous Knicks crowd. It made me really want to be in Madison Square Garden. I might have to go to one of these games. It seemed it seemed awesome. Uh, the Hawks win by two. Julius Randle does not get off his buzzer beater in time. And uh, we appear to have a really fun series uh, ahead of us. Trey Young finishes, I think, with 32 points. And Julius Randle shoots 6 of 23. We can talk a lot about all the X's and O's. But, Mr. Lopez, what stood out to you? What did you, what did you focus your Game 1 reaction on? I mean, it was, it was all about Trey Young. I mean, this was a guy who we've, we've talked about now for two years, not being a winner, just being an empty stats guy. And he goes out and does everything you would want of him. Uh, in this game, this was a, and he didn't do it the way you would like. I, I think maybe the casual NBA fan still thinks of Trey Young as this chucker who's just going to go out and shoot 10, 12, three pointers a game. And that, that wasn't the way he got it done. This was, you know, he was attacking. He was eight for 10 on layups or floaters, including the game winner yesterday. The, the fact that he just, you know, with when anybody is screaming uh, expletives at me, I don't know if I'm going to be able to react the way that Trey Young did and just channel it into into my game the way that 15,000 screaming Knicks fans were. But uh, you know he 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 channeled it in the fourth quarter. I think he scored or assisted on 21 points. Um, that doesn't Ooh. count. That doesn't count the bogey three that tied it up at 103, which I think they. they I don't. Really I still small. don't. I don't know what happened on that play. I don't even know what the Hawks <laughs> were trying to do. Like they ran a pick and roll. And then there was just like a bunch of dudes in the paint for some reason. And then the pass like hit RJ Barrett's leg. And then I don't even know what happened, but Bogdan Bogdanovich made a couple of huge threes in the last four minutes, including that one. And then, then the game was tied. I don't, I don't, I still don't quite know what happened. We were talking, we were talking to, uh, to Bogdan. He was at, he was asked about that shot afterwards. And he's like, I didn't really have a second to shoot it. I just had to grab the ball and put it up and it just went in. So even, I think he was a little uh, surprised at how the play went down the only thing i remember was click compella just ripping it away from from nerland's noel the ball rolling around and somehow 
he gets a three-pointer and we're tied up at 103. And it was just – and it set up everything after that. And I think um, even to that crazy last play where, where John Collins loses his shoe – there's a shoe just left over there, and if he doesn't, I, I tr- truthfully, I did not see that that happened. Okay, so if you go back and look at it, before Trey gets it in the backcourt, and the the play design is for John Collins to come up and set a screen, but John Collins and Todd Gibson get locked up, and John Collins loses his shoe at the top of the key. Trey sees this and decides, well, that could screw things up. Go away. I'm going to take uh, Nitlakina one on one. And that's how the play happened. Because I had my eyes on I had my eyes on the ball, and I just thought Trey Young was like, "I'm Trey Young." Of course, I don't want to screen. Nobody wants screens anymore. Just get I just get out of my way. But I that's that's a fun little. But even Derrick Rose's floater that tied the game yep. came off like a crazy sequence of events. It was a really bizarro, fun ending to the game. So let's talk about Trey Young because to me, game two. Everything revolves around how Trey Young is adjusted to on both ends of the floor. And I think the I think the low hanging fruit for the Knicks is they let Trey Young off the hook on defense. And and one of the reasons I picked the Hawks to win this series, I picked Hawks in six. And no, I do not feel good about it after a buzzer beating game <laughs> one. I just I think it's a coin flip series. But one of my concerns for the Knicks was I think the low hanging fruit against the Hawks is you have to hurt Trey Young on defense. And the Knicks just aren't really equipped as much as a lot of teams are to just go after him at the point of attack. And obviously the Hawks hit him on Reggie Bullock, so that makes it even harder. But I expected more like Randall Bullock pick and rolls. I expected more when Trey Young is stuck on Derrick Rose or R.J. Barrett. You know, R.J. Barrett had a post up with like 245 left in the game where he just put Trey Young in the basket. Alec Burks had a post up where he backed Trey Young down and found Todd Gibson. I And maybe it's just... Julius Randle is not a high-volume pick-and-roll ball handler. He's not used to, you know, they tried it a couple times. Trey Young kind of hedged out at him, and Randle picked up the ball and threw it to somebody else. And and I, I just, I think they have to find more ways to punish him, even if it's just as simple as, I saw that one R.J. Barrett post up, and I was like, do that again. Yeah, keep, If they're going to have him guard <laughs> R.J. Barrett, just keep doing that. I, that was... Uh... Definitely a strategy I thought they were going to go to more, especially late in the game. Uh, obviously, they were going with letting, you know, D-Rose just kind of, you know, do D-Rose type things. But when when Julius wasn't going the way that that we had seen him go all year, uh, you know, he shot six for 23. He just wasn't himself and or, the, the, you know, the guy that we, we saw him become this year. But the fact that they didn't go at him, like you were saying, at, at Trey Moore was a little shocking. And I think that allowed him, especially in the fourth quarter, to find that flow. Trey didn't get going. Uh, he didn't get any of free throw attempts until the fourth quarter. He was 0 for he, he was 0 for 0. He was 0 for 0. Then he had, then he had, then he had then 10, he, made yeah, 10 makes he, in the fourth quarter, right? So, yeah, it was. I think he was 9 for 9 or 10 for 10, whatever it was. But he went he went crazy in the fourth quarter. Nine for because nine, he, you're right. Yeah, he found, he found his rhythm there in the fourth. And I think by allowing him to not have to do as much on defense, it it gave him a chance to get into his rhythm more uh, in, in that fourth quarter and allowed him to kind of take over. Whereas, you know, Julius looked like he was, it looked like it was his first playoff game. It did not look like it was Trey's first playoff game. Even the first play of the game for the Knicks, the first set of the game was a Reggie Bullock guarded by Trey Young. R.J. Barrett, off-ball screening action, the split action where they screen for each other and then fly apart. And the Hawks 
bumbled and stumbled all over each other. <laughs> both both Trey and whoever else was involved went with Bullock, and RJ Barrett got a wide open three. Just do more of that. Like there there are ways to do more of that. And Randall, before we get back to Trey, let's talk about Randall, who is six to twenty three. The matchups were as fascinating as I'd expected. I thought they would put Hunter on him, and they did. Yep. I thought they would hide John Collins on Reggie Bullock, and instead they hid John Collins on Alfred Payton. And by the way, we're getting pretty damn close to time for Alfred Payton to just not play and for Derrick Rose to start because those eight minutes are like just, can we survive? Can we survive? Now, I say that Alfred Payton's probably going to play and have 15 points a game too because that's how basketball works sometimes. Um and yeah, when those matchups didn't materialize, they had John Collins on them. They had Danilo Gallinari on them. And by the way, the most important adjustment in this entire series so far is the Mohawk on Danilo yes. Gallinari, which I did not see coming. Uh, I, it took me about eight minutes of playing time to get used to it. I think it, I think it affected the outcome of the game. I think that, the Knicks uh, were flummoxed. If it took you eight minutes, it took me a lot longer. He looked like I felt like I was like watching like a created character in like a cutscene or something. From like Mad like, Max, I thought I was white, or like uh, what, what's a what's the Robert De Niro's guy from Taxi Driver? Like, why am I blanking on the main character of Taxi Driver's name? That's embarrassing. Travis Bickle. Travis Bickle, producer Jan says, "What a what a sh- I'm so honestly, I kind of want to end the podcast now. I'm so ashamed I couldn't remember the name of of Robert De Niro's character from Taxi Driver. Um, I don't even know. Oh, Randall. So Randall gets the ball on the right wing over and over and over again. Faces up." John Collins, Gallinari, whoever on him. Capella comes over along the baseline, okay? And they play Randall, say, you're not going left. We're forcing you to your right, your weekend. We're forcing you to the baseline. Help is there. The zone-ups behind the play are taking away all the easy passes. And he just settled for jumper after jumper. And look, all season, he's made those jumpers. I am interested to see, now that they know that, that that's the way Atlanta wants to help, I'm interested in how the Knicks adjust to that. Can they get him some touches in the middle of the floor? Can they get him some touches on the left side? Can they have some people flash to the foul line to make some easier passes available to him? Uh, because they didn't really have a solve for that. But I, Randall will, I mean, look, Randall's going to play better. And, and even, they even ran a couple Randall pick and rolls, like four or five pick and rolls with Todd yep. Gibson. And like, those worked pretty well. He got to drive on John Collins out of that. I'm interested to see more variety, but like Julius is going to make jump shots. He's been making jump shots all season. You have to bake that into your game too. Assumption. And maybe you could even say, we're almost encouraged that we nearly won the game with Julius Randle scoring 15 points on 6 of 23 shooting and no one else in the starting lineup really doing, I mean, 6 points Bullock, 6 points Noel, a big fat goose egg for Peyton, and 14 for Barrett. I mean, it was really Burks and Rose off the bench. Oh, some quickly. It, was, it, was, it was all the bench uh, getting going. I mean, uh, quickly turned and like, was doing like his Steph Curry impression there in the second quarter for a little bit, uh, getting everybody going. But the, the Julius thing... Look, I, I, I covered him in, when he was in New Orleans, when he was just starting to develop that three-point shot. I watched how he, he, he did it with it. I don't see him having another 6 of 23 type game. Like I just feel like he will make the corrections, and the, and the Knicks will make those uh, corrections to be able to get him going. But they need a little bit more from those starters, whether you know Alfred had been playing 18 to 22 minutes really um, – over over that final stretch, but he was at least still giving you something in those games. Uh, something. At least getting you to where you didn't have to play Derrick Rose 38 minutes. A human uh, body was on the floor. <laughs> he, look, I am a big Alfred guy. I, I, If he can just get you to 14 to 16 minutes 
where you can give more like I said I'm guaranteeing right now I'm guaranteeing now that we've had this discussion he is going to score 14 points on like five of eight with his floaters and it's going to happen like it's now it's I've reverse jinxed it that's it's, uh, it's exactly what you're doing <laughs> but I think uh, he'll get going. They, they just have to get more going because I don't think we're going to see enough I mean Alec Burks is not going to have another 27 point game I don't think you have to you're I'm, going I'm to so have happy to for Alec Burks that was a great it was great to watch but you're going to have to get some of those starters going. He, Alec Burks has had a great season for them. He went through hell with his leg injury, yeah. which is now five years ago, I think. It almost derailed and ruined his career. And he's found a real home in New York, and he was fantastic. I mean, the shot making down the stretch of the game, he's making these pull-up twos, a pull-up three. I'm like, man, Alec Burks is on one. Um, and then the other most interesting subplot is, how do the Knicks guard Trey Young's pick-and-rolls? Because... They did what I expected them to do in the preview podcast was they, they basically dropped back, chased him over the screen, and said, we, we, want you, we want you to beat us with floaters. And I actually looked the numbers. I'll read you the numbers. According to Second Spectrum Tracking yep. Data, the Hawks scored 1.2 points per possessions on Trey Young pick and rolls when he shot it or passed to somebody who shot it. That's flammable. Very, very good. Including the whole possession featuring a Trey Young pick and roll, 1.35, which is like he broke basketball. So whatever the Knicks did, the Hawks beat it in game one. That said, you know, you made the point earlier very astutely that he his three-point volume is actually very much down this year. He's fine. If you give him a red carpet into floater range, he takes it now. And if you send help, he makes the pass, and if you or or he makes the lob pass, pass to the shooter or pass to a lob uh, dunker, or he takes a floater, and you know, it's he's just very difficult to prepare for. Like I don't even mind the strategy of daring him to beat you with floaters, because it means you're not getting beat with alley oops and you're not getting beat with threes. The key is you can't foul him, and the Knicks did that for three quarters and not for the fourth. <laughs> you can't panic and help off their three point shooters, and we'll talk about that. Um, and you have to actually, you actually have to challenge him from behind in a way that he at least feels. And I think too often the Knicks lost touch with him last night and let him get downhill. The problem is, you know, it's easy to diagnose the problem. Coming up with a solution is less easy. So when the Knicks brought their, their big men up higher on the picks, which they did a couple of times with Noel and Gibson, Trey said, oh, hello, I'm just going to go right around you and I'll get an even easier layup than I was going to have before. So what do you expect to see, I don't know if, if Tibbs talked about it or they talked about it after the game last night. What do you expect to see in game two? It's going to look, and I had another second spectrum stat ready to go for Trey Young, who scored 34 points on 23 direct drives uh, last night. That's 1.48. That's the second highest scoring efficiency uh, among anybody since second spectrum started tracking drives of anybody with 20 in a game since 13 Ooh, 14. That's uh, a very good stat, Andrew Lopez. I like it. Yeah, thanks, Sig, uh, for that one. Um, I was I, I I stay in there during games. I love uh, going through this kind of stuff. But they're going to have to send something else there. I, I mean, he they, he just the strategy of allowing him to get there is great. But when he goes eight for ten on layups and floaters, it doesn't work. And they're gonna have to get something else in his face. But like you said, that's then gonna open up. Who are you gonna leave? Are you gonna let Bogdanovich shoot threes? Uh, during the game, are you going to give up open stuff to Gallo? Now Gallo didn't shoot it that great uh, on you know in in game one. He was I think one for seven for three, but you have to send something else down there just to to try and make Trey think one extra second uh, because when he had I mean in a lot of those layups were just 
open, open. I mean, the, if, if the fact that he didn't go 10 for 10 is actually a little bit surprising considering how open some of these things were. He shot 47% on floaters this year, which is very, very good, but they're two-point shots. Yeah. If you shoot 47% on two-point shots, you're, you, you, that alone is not winning you a game. But if you get fouled a lot, and on the couple times you don't get fouled, you make the right pass, then all of a sudden you're in business. But I just think the Knicks have to be careful overreacting. For, for instance, with halfway through the first quarter, Trey Young, John Collins, pick and roll. He gets downhill just like he did the whole game. And R.J. Barrett sees a problem and shoots in from the, the right corner, which is the strong side corner. You're not supposed to help from there. And Trey sees that, kicks it to Herter, who has 20 feet of space. <laughs> misses a three. The Knicks get lucky. Misses a three. But that's when you start to give up everything. When you start making rotations like that, you've now given up everything. So I think the Knicks' best strategy might just be come up a little bit higher on the pick, but not so high that you're blitzing him. And try and get in his space a little bit more, but then you risk losing touch with Capella and Collins on It's just it's just hard. But the which, minute which they he start- was getting, he he had an effective oops uh, early on. I mean, that was one of the things that they were trying early on. I remember like there was one Capella caught, and I think Capella had a couple. John Collins had a couple. Capella had one where he just pulled down. It was a, it was one of those like wide receiver type catches that he just shouldn't have made. Uh, but he has such great hands, so he was able to do that. So I. I Trey is ready for that, but I, like you said, if they just go up just a little bit higher, I think they can, while it would open themselves up to that, that might still be their best overall plan uh, compared to, obviously, how, how he did it in game one. Yeah, one of the things I, I, I was watching film of their regular season games, and one thing that stood out was they're creeping in from the corners sometimes because they know he's dangerous on floaters. It was obvious to me, I assume it's obvious to the Hawks that those passes are there, and if you if he makes them... They're just the Hawks have good shooting now, and Gallinari will make more shots. The Gallinari Obi Toppin matchup is a fun, it's a big <laughs> test for Obi Toppin, who played quite well last night. They got Julius Randle some real rest, and then at the end of the game, they started running that you know people call it the Spain pick and roll, where they have the screener and then the back screener for Trey, and they got good looks out of that. Bogdanovich had a three out of that. I expect to see that more, but I'm just very interested to see this whole series. To me, revolves around Trey Young on both ends of the floor. And I'm just very interested to see how the Knicks come out. Not a must win, because I think every game in this series should be competitive, but you yeah. don't want to fall down 2-0 at, at home. No, this is definitely one of those series that when, you know, we were looking at at all the games, you know, before this. I think I even said it in the the five on five on dot com today. Uh this is the game I I mean, the series I think goes seven. Uh I have the most confidence in it going seven. Um, I don't think the Hawks would want any part of a game seven in Madison Square Garden, but the just the the way these two teams are built, I see more games like this coming. Like I'm not gonna say every game's gonna end in a game winning floater, uh, but they're just they're two competitive teams who are both out to prove something, right? I mean, the Hawks completely changed everything when when Nate McMillan became the coach, and and they went on that great run to end the season. The Knicks were picked by a lot of people to be the bottom of the Eastern conference, they storm back and get Eastern, uh, you know, first home, uh, home court advantage. You have two teams who are proving that they're, they're trying to belong here and these aren't fluke type seasons. And I think that adds just another level to a, a, a first round series of, of a four or five that, you know, both teams are going to try to prove that we, we belong right here. And I think it's going to make for these close games all the way through. I, I also think that Nick should uh, probably maybe will, I don't know if Tibbs just doesn't want to do it. The occasional sort of out of nowhere blitz of Trey Young, 
particularly if you can force Capella to be a playmaker in space. If he's if he's the release valve, the release valve for Trey, then you could make some. But just again, occasionally, it's easier said than done. Once they'd see it's coming, uh, it's easy to pick apart. And then you know Trey will see that and start making passes to the wing. Like the Hawks will set up the wing guys to be the release valve, so you get to drive and kick machine moving. It's going to be a really fun matchup, and the Knicks are absolutely rock solid defensively. That's not going anywhere. They're going to have a response in game two. But I just, I was watching this game last night with just sheer glee on my face because it's awesome to see MSG rocking again. And it's just cool. Like Hawks and Knicks, it's like, is this really a playoff series? It feels so, I mean, it hasn't been that long, really. It's not like Kings long since these teams were in the playoffs. The Hawks were in not long ago, especially, but it feels so just a fresh set of characters. It's just, it felt, it felt Tracy Morgan and you know, John Stewart on the sideline. It felt cool again. It did. And it was one of those, the entire weekend, honestly, just kind of reminded you, like, at least reminded me of why you, why fans in sports are so important from even going back to the playing games where we had guys, uh, you know, we had fans starting to sit courtside again, um, you know, at, at certain games and then watching this weekend and even going from like watching the PGA championship over the weekend or just watching, uh, college and, and it just it started to bring it all back and and hearing fifteen thousand screaming fans at MSG act like every bucket was a game seven it was just it was amazing also, and also chanting f u Trey Young which, which ended up being, being the biggest story of the game <laughs> I don't know what it is but you couldn't you wouldn't chant like f u I'm trying to even think you wouldn't chant like F you James Harden. You just, I don't think you would do it. Or F you um, Jason Tatum. It's just something about Trey Young draws so, this eye. It's per, I don't know if it's the mustache, the fouling, the, the bogus foul. Something about him draws out this kind of specific ire that I love. And I love that he loves it too. It's perfect. He talked about this at the end of the game. He's like, this isn't the first time I've heard this. He's like, I heard it when I was at Oklahoma. He goes, he goes if, if I'm doing that, I have to be doing something right. If I can, if I can, if I can piss you off this much to where that's what you're chanting, and it was, and they were chanting it before the game. It was like series hasn't started yet, and they're going at him. He's like, if I can do that this much to you, I'm doing something right, and he he just plays into it. Like if you walked into Atlanta for Game Three, and the and ten thousand Hawks fans are chanting "F you, Julius Randle," you'd be like. What's go- what's happening? But the same thing to Trey Young and S Square. You're like, oh, I, I guess that yeah, it's sense. also the one syllable first and last name is just maybe more chantable. As well. I don't I don't know what it is, but it's it's going to be a fun series. And Andrew Lopez, who does a fantastic job covering the Pelicans, I, and there's always some kind of drama around the Pelicans, and you are always on top of it. Uh, and it's good to see you on this series too. It's good to have you on the pod, buddy. Good to see you. All right, thanks, man. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.